Book of Philippians tonight, Philippians chapter number one. Thank you for the music as always. Philippians chapter number one. And uh, we were in this chapter this morning, and uh, we were looking at the latter part of this chapter, Philippians 1, and uh, now we're going to close out this chapter this evening uh, in Philippians chapter number 1. Look at the uh, last part of uh, the uh, chapter th- this evening and see what the Lord has for us. And uh, tonight, it's, uh, there, there are some things, as a pastor, uh, one of the things that you want to do is you want to get everybody moving in the same direction. And then when you get everybody moving in the same direction, you want to keep everybody moving in the same direction. And when things are going well, you want things to continue to go well. And uh, so tonight, I want to see what the Apostle Paul says uh, for that church in Philippi, that church. We were going to make some comments about the message this morning, text this morning, of how uh, the church makes a difference for the gospel's sake. Uh, If we're not making a difference for the gospel's sake, we're just wasting our time. Uh, We're just getting together to make ourselves feel good. Uh, We get encouraged. Have you been encouraged encouraged tonight by the music, by the fellowship? Uh, Just coming to the house of God is encouraging. The word of God encourages us. It challenges us. It convicts us. It uh, shines a light on areas of deficiency that we ought to focus on. Uh, We see the blessings of God, the hand of God. And think about your salvation. Think about what God has done in your life since you got saved. Uh, If you were saved as an adult and you live without Christ, you realize the things that God saved you from. If you were saved as a child, like I was saved as a child, the longer you live, the more you're reminded of what God saved you from. And uh, salvation through Christ is certainly uh, something we should not take for granted. But then as a church and as a people, the responsibility we have, the opportunity we have to make a difference. The greatest danger, I'll say a greater danger than the, uh, I I believe, my opinion, in the, uh, then the vices of this world destroying churches is for churches to get complacent, get their eyes off Christ, get them focused on themselves. And uh, anybody compare themselves to Christ lately? We don't measure up, do we? Uh, so how, why would we put our eyes on ourselves and not on Christ? Uh, but so tonight I want, to be, I want us to be helped. And uh, if nobody else needs this, Boy, I need this tonight, and uh, I want the Lord to help us this evening. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation, that word conversation is not just the words, hey, I was in a conversation with someone, but it's speaking of your manner of life. It's what you say, it's what you do, it's the way you carry yourself. All of us have a conversation when it comes to our life. Paul is writing, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. We're not going to touch much on it tonight, but we are not above suffering for Christ's sake. 
And you can take it from one extreme. You look at Job and what he went through because of the testing that God put him through and the persecution by Satan to history, to Paul. In verse, verse 30, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul likens that persecution to what he's experienced. Tonight I want us to look, and we'll spend most of our time in verse number 27, but there's a phrase in there that I want us to focus on, and we see the beginning becometh the gospel of Christ, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I want to speak on this subject tonight. In harmony for the gospel's sake. In harmony for the gospel's sake. The church, I'll pray in just a moment, the church is truly a miracle of God. I mean, look around here. You know what I see? I see a bunch of sinners. But hopefully... We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. Where else can God take this group of people born all over the world in different places, different opinions, different backgrounds, put them all together and say, be of one mind and one spirit. Now, football season is approaching. We cannot be of one mind and one spirit when it comes to football. There's those at the top and everybody else. That's all I'll say. Politics, I've been very careful to warn us of not bringing all that's in politics in here because not everybody is going to be on the same page when it comes to politics. There's, There's not harmony that can be Obtained by, by a broad group of people. But you know there's one thing that we all can be in harmony on? It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one thing we can all be in harmony on, and we can all be of that one mind and spirit. It's the fact that this world is, is dying without Christ. God empowers His church to preach the gospel and to reach the world with the gospel. We can be on harmony with that. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but that's okay because I'll, I'll revisit some of these things. And when you join the Emmanuel Baptist Church, I'm not going to ask you to convert your football loyalty. And some weeks I'll just say, check that at the door. I'm not even going to ask you to show me your voter ID card. Maybe I should, but I'm not. I'm not going to say, those of you from the north, I want you to renounce that apostasy that comes from that part of the world. I'm not going to ask you to do that. Some of you have got your attention for the first time. But by the authority of the Word of God, I'm going to say, We set down our opinions, we set down our offenses, we set down everything that according when we measure to the gospel is petty so that we can have harmony in fulfilling the Great Commission. Harmony for the gospel's sake. Father, I pray tonight that you would use your word. We've already been blessed today. We thank you for souls that have been saved. 
those that have taken the next step in uh, their walk with you in baptism. And Father, we thank you for the visitors who were here today. And Lord, we just thank you for what you've done in our own hearts. And Father, this message tonight is one of those that's a good reminder for us. And as things I believe are in harmony, I think I believe things are of one accord. But I hope tonight reminds us of the importance of keeping things in harmony for the gospel's sake. Uh, keeping things moving forward for the gospel's sake. Things aren't in harmony because we're all of the same opinions. We're not always in harmony because we all have the same abilities. We're not always in harmony because we feel the same about everything. But always oh, center around the gospel and we move forward for your sake. Help your church tonight, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we looked and we saw as Paul addressed uh, his dilemma. This chapter is a wonderful chapter. It's a chapter I read often. He addresses several things in this chapter. And you, as I mentioned this morning, I'll mention again, you feel the tenderness Paul has towards these Christians at Philippi. You can sense the tenderness of this man who has invested in others, who has given his life for the gospel's sake. And friend, let me just remind all of us, until you have invested and given your life truly to invest in others so they may see the gospel, you really can't feel for people how you can when it's for the gospel's sake. We have that tenderness. We have that investment. This morning, we, we, we focused on uh, the, the verses preceding this text this evening of how Paul was torn between life and death and how he longed to be with Christ. And he acknowledged it's far better to be with Christ, but his realization that the people there, the, the church at Philippi, those Christians needed him. So therefore, that is... His focus is trying to be a help to them. His dilemma, wanting to be with Christ, but understanding of their need of Him, Paul expresses in this, Paul expresses the need of harmony in the church for the gospel's sake. Notice in verse 27 this phrase, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. What he is saying is if I visit you again, I want to see the harmony. Boy, it's a wonderful sight. Yesterday I made several visits uh, pretty much most of the day. And as I, I, I came in and out of here and, and, and several times I passed by and you see all the cars in the parking lot. And, and, and it doesn't mean because you weren't here you're not part of what we're doing. But to see the effort and the harmony and people on the same page wanting to reach people with the gospel. It's evident by the Spirit of God in our services that there's a mindset. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, if I'm able to visit you, I want to see the harmony. But if I don't visit you and I hear of what God is doing, I want it to be obvious that you're of one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You and I, and I'll address this somewhat, but you and I as the Emmanuel Baptist Church, this local church, we need to be in harmony of what God has for us to do. I'm mindful of our Jerusalem, our Judea, 
our Samaria, and then the uttermost part of the world. We have, we have too much today, and there's not harmony because we're worried about what somebody else is doing. We're worried about what the church down the road is doing. And friend, you and I need to be reminded that we are to be in harmony of what God has for us to do. And quite frankly, that is why God has blessed us because of that. In chapter number 4, verses 1 through 3, look with me very quickly. We'll read this in a moment, but Paul addresses the fact that there are two members that were at odds with one another. Then he appeals for help with their reconciliation. Why is that? Because he speaks of striving together for the gospel's sake. If the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, what is the only thing that can stop the church? It's disharmony or not being of one accord. Notice chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, for my joy and crown to stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved, I beseech Iodius and beseech Cynthia that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yokefellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. He's addressing two women who are at odds with each other, and he calls them by name. Often it's like, I wonder if Pastor was, talk, was, was talking about them. Probably not. But Paul left no doubt. He said, so-and-so and so-and-so are at odds with each other, and I appeal to my true yoke fellow. Now, I believe that whoever that yoke fellow was, he knew who he was. Help these women get along with each other. Make things right with each other. Lay down their differences. It, is in, it was important enough that Paul addresses it in a letter. And you and I know and we believe that God has preserved his word and every word we read tonight, God put there on purpose. So here's an example for us. If the Apostle Paul, who felt so tenderly and strongly about his, this church, and notice what he said. He was not too concerned with which one was at fault. Or what even the issue was. He even points out that both of these women at some time labored with me together for the gospel's sake. And now there is something between them that is keeping the harmony to being what it should be. <clears throat> now we know, and there's other passages of Scripture that Remind us of this. We've spent time in the book of Acts talking about as of one accord. The church had to be of one accord, of one spirit, before the spirit moved the way it did. Paul is writing, it's saying, uh, for, uh, have, have harmony, have unity, strive together for the faith of the gospel. And we see an example of how important it was to him. Right. Later, in the end, he cared enough to say, there's two ladies that are not getting along. And he appealed, let's get it resolved. <coughs> you hear me say often, 
And I don't know the hearts of people tonight, but I think it's good for us to be reminded if that great church had two individuals that were at odds with each other and the appeal was for them to get it resolved, I think if there's two and if you have something in your heart towards somebody, it needs to be made right. But we see the emphasis and the importance of as Paul writes, now let me point out several things and, and will not be too long this evening. Famous last words, right? Number one, we're reminded that the gospel is the standard. Verse 27 again, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Let your conversation, let your manner of living, let what you say, let what you do, let where you go. How you interact with the brethren, how you interact with the lost, how you present yourself in this world. Be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. In other words, the gospel is the standard of our living. The gospel, the gospel is how we have salvation. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't, you can't earn your way to heaven. You can't be granted access by man to heaven. It is by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ we have salvation. We know that. After salvation, the gospel is still the standard. How does one get to heaven? What do we preach? We preach the gospel of Christ. But now my conversation or manner of living should live up to the gospel. It should live up to Christ. What, what God, Paul is saying, Paul is saying, your living should reflect the price paid for our salvation, and the fact we are a child of God. In other words, when we, we live our manner of living, we live in a way that reflects well on the gospel. We live in a world today, why would the lost want to be saved when Christians are not living worthy of the gospel? Now what I mean by that is you can't earn the gospel, we know that. But because we have the gospel, as we saw this morning, Paul set an expectation on himself. He didn't wait for somebody else to set an expectation on him. He set an expectation on himself that he would not bring shame to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about harmony, but if there are two Christians that can't get along, that brings a shame to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to reflect and say, not what this world accepts, but what is worthy of Christ. Our, our conversation shouldn't be the vernacular of popularity today, but what brings honor to Christ? The way we talk, the way we act, the way we dress, the, the people we associate with. We, the gospel is the standard. You, you, you say, well, I, I, just don't, I just don't think I want those authorities telling me everything that I have to do. Trust me, from a position of authority as your pastor... I don't even want to think about telling you what to do. I want to preach the word of God. And if we all would set Christ and the gospel as the standard, something tells me we'd be okay. It is his want that a Christian should do what is worthy of the gospel. Quite frankly, and I think we would all agree with this, because we're saved. How many of you are saved tonight? Because we're a Christian, we're a child of God, we're the redeemed we should live different. We should talk different. You see this emerging church stuff today, this contemporary church today. Well, you gotta, you got to blend in with the world. They never read the New Testament, apparently. They never read the Apostle Paul. 
Because we should live worthy of the gospel. Again, we can't earn the gospel, but the fact that Christ gave his blood for, shed his blood for us, he gave us salvation, that should mean something to you and I. That should mean something as a child of God. The gospel is the standard. Number two, the church should have one mind and one spirit. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, by the way, Paul had opinions, didn't he? Paul had disagreements with other preachers. But when it all came down to it, he said, don't wait and let me tell you what, what to do. It's the gospel of Christ. Make that the standard. And he says, whether I, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, in one mind, striving together. Give me your mind for just a moment. For some, that's a stretch, but do the best you can. The church should have one mind and one spirit. We would agree with that. The book of Acts is evidence what happens when you have one accord. How many of you, and if you're not a member, and I know we have some visitors tonight, that's okay. You're a member of, of the Emmanuel Baptist Church. Okay? So the pastor has a responsibility to walk guard over God's church. The pastor from this book sets the standard of doctrine. We believe the Bible. We're a Baptist because we believe the Bible teaches to be a Baptist. We're not Calvinists. Say, well, were you going to let Calvinists? No, because I set the standard as the pastor. One of my responsibilities is to be the shepherd and to guard against the wolves. So therefore, that's, we're not having that. Then there's other aspects. Why? It's setting the unity of doctrine. This, this, some of this stuff in this world, we're going to keep out of the church. Say, I'm thankful we have a pastor who will take a step. But it's your responsibility too. He is talking not just to the shepherd of the church. He's talking to the church. And he says, stand fast. We live in a day of change. And what we need are churches to stand fast on that book. Stand fast on the word of God. Stand fast on doctrine. Stand fast on salvation by grace. Stand fast on all of those things, and we should not compromise on that. And can I get an amen on that tonight? But Paul says you should also stand fast of one spirit and one mind. I'm willing to draw a line and plant my feet and die for the fact that salvation is by the grace of God. I'm willing to draw a line and plant my feet that salvation is for whosoever. God did not predestine some to hell and predestine some to heaven. I'm willing to risk everything. Everything. If I preach to an empty building, it'll be to people who believe that salvation is by grace. I'm willing to, well, that's my responsibility. If I don't do that, God who created me, God who saved me, God who called me, God whose will is for me to pastor this church will hold me accountable for all of the fallout that takes place because I was unwilling to stand fast. Now, I think I'm preaching to a friendly crowd tonight. You would agree with this. You should stand fast on Bible doctrine. 
You should not falter. You should not. Well, I think they're good people. Well, my focus is on the gospel. My responsibility is to the gospel. I'm not taking enough time to see who's a good person and who's not a good person. I'm just looking at the fallout of a false gospel. And if your pastor plants his feet and says, we're not friendly to Calvinism, you should stand fast as well. Say, I'm standing with the pastor. I may not understand it all, but I know for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And God gave him to me as a pastor. I'm standing with him when it comes to doctrine. But this passage isn't talking about doctrine. It's talking about standing fast on one mind in one spirit. It's talking about standing fast on having harmony. It's talking about standing fast on having unity. It's talking about standing fast the same way. The same way that a pastor should stand fast on doctrine and draw a line. He has the same responsibility to stand fast on harmony for the gospel's sake. And just like the pastor should plan his feet for harmony's sake, because you know, I'm going to oppose false doctrine. Why? Because people are going to die and go to hell if they don't get the message that Christ died for sinners in His simple grace, it's simple faith, that there's, there's an eternal damnation that some will, will stumble into. It's lost in their own sins, and they could have had salvation. They could have had the message. They could have had the opportunity. Shame on me and shame on the Emmanuel Baptist Church if we don't stand firm for doctrine because eternal souls are at stake. Likewise, shame on a pastor, shame on me for not standing firm for unity for the gospel's sake because souls are at stake. A church not moving in the same direction, a church that doesn't have the same mind and the same spirit, there are souls that are going to be left behind. There are families that are not going to be helped. And just as it's my responsibility to stand fast for doctrine, it's my responsibility as the pastor of this church to stand fast for unity. Well, what about this church or that church? That's none of my concern. That's none of my care. It's none of my desire to know. God has put me here. It's my responsibility to stand fast for unity here. And likewise, if you have a pastor who stands fast, for unity and harmony for the gospel's sake, meaning we're all going the same direction. We're all doing the same thing. We're all focused on the cause of Christ. Then you stand with your pastor for that unity and harmony just like you do for doctrine. Because the church should have one mind and one spirit. What is that? One focus, the gospel. To reach the world. Great commission. We should be willing to set aside all differences for the sake of the gospel. Now, I didn't say we should accept all gospels, quote-unquote gospels, for the sake of unity. But we should set aside all differences for the sake of the gospel. We, 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 we fall into a trap of, 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 of misreading this and, and getting a false narrative and a false belief. God never tells the church that they should all have the same opinions. But he does, does say you should lay down some opinions for the gospel's sake. 
He doesn't say that everybody ought to, that we're never going to step on each other's toes. But as he writes in chapter 4, you and you, get it right. You've served for the gospel and you've served for the gospel and now there's something in between you. We've got to get that fixed for the gospel's sake. We should be willing to set aside all differences. We should be on board with the leadership of the church for the sake of the gospel. And I, I'm, I'm glad to preach these messages when there are no issues. They're much easier than when there are issues. But it's obvious by the Spirit we enjoy every single service that we're of one mind and one spirit. But if the outside can't hurt us and can't stop, the gates of hell can't prevail against a church that's of one accord, focused on the gospel, then the danger we have is not being in harmony for the gospel's sake. Those who may rise up against the pastor forsake the word of God, break fellowship because of pettiness, and disrupt the harmony with opinions are not about the gospel, but about themselves. How many of you have been in this church longer than 10 years? Let me see your hand. Quite a few. How about 20? Okay. You're not a member of this church for that long without having a difference with somebody. Without having somebody offend you. So why are you still here? Yeah, why are you still? No. It's because... Week in and week out, we saw what we saw today. Now, if there's something that needs to be made right, we make it right. It doesn't mean that we just overlook things. And in that situation that Paul describes, if there's two that are at odds, one was probably at fault. One probably needed to make it right with the other, whatever the case. There's scripture on how to deal with that. But the point I'm making is Paul said, get it right. For the gospel's sake, I'll, I'll use this as an illustration, and, and, it, and it may be helpful. The, the Preacher's Delight Conference, which is coming up, we have, as I mentioned this morning, Sunday school, about 80 pastors that are registered. We, I think we're going to get closer to that 100 than we are at the 80, and, and I'm excited about what God is doing there. And, and there are some who are registered who's never been to our conference before. And there's some who are registered that are coming that I know has been a critic of this ministry. I know who's been a critic of me. I know who's been a critic of our way of church. And you say, well, when they come, are you not going to feed them? No, you'll never know who they are. Matter of fact, I'll put them at the front of the line. Why? For the gospel's sake. Because it's not about me. It's not about a difference of opinion of me. It's not about a negative opinion of me. If somebody wants to come and be encouraged, and by the way, that's why we have that conference, is to encourage pastors and to encourage others. If somebody wants to come and be in my presence, they'll see what a charming individual I am, and they'll, they'll see how wonderful things are. And they're, No, you see the point. It, we make it about us. It's not about us. On a bigger picture, in that illustration, it's about us all and all of our personalities as preachers 
all of us having opinions, which we all have, and us all thinking we're right on everything, which I am, and we, we, all, we, all, we all look, it's about us being helped by the Spirit of God so we can go back to wherever we, we serve and be helped and be blessed. We get this thing and be careful as our ministry continues to grow. Sometimes we'll say, well, I don't understand this or I don't like this. Can I just tell you the, there's a reason why you don't understand everything? Because there's some things that God gives the pastor insight in. There's a lot of prayer, a lot of fasting that goes into this ministry. And if you haven't figured it out, we've got several new members that have joined in the last few months and the last year. You don't have a pastor that's going to sit and relax. You don't have a pastor that's going to just rest on what is done. I want us to do everything that we can for the cause of Christ. See, well, I, I'm often, and this part I'm preaching to me, so you can just listen in this, this point here. Something that helps me is, as I'm trying to get discernment, and several of you in the last few days have said, Pastor, how can I pray specifically for you? And I appreciate that. Say, wisdom and strength and all of those things. Sometimes I wrestle with God and what's the next step and what do we do and how is this going to happen? I'm, 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 th- I'm mindful and God brings to attention the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea. And how God parted it when it was time for them to walk over. I'm mindful of God's people crossing the Jordan River and as they put one foot, then he parted, then he parted it. What I'm saying is, is God has provided some ways for the Great Commission to go forth. We must be of the same mind and the same spirit. I was preaching at a conference in northern Kentucky just over a week ago. And the pastor there who comes to our conference and was, was really bragging on the Lord, but telling some of the things that God's done in our ministry and and excited about what God is doing. And I was thinking about some of those things and talking to some of the, the pastors about whether it be for the aviation or the ranch or some of these other, now going to the Caribbean to help national pastors. And I got to thinking and talking to some of them, and we have God's big enough to do the things He's done in the past. I think God's big enough to do for his church today and in the future. But I want to point out one truth when it comes to the church that have one mind and one spirit. Those who are not part of that fellowship can't understand it. Don't raise your hand, but if I had a dollar for every time I ever heard this criticism, I'd have a lot of dollars. Over at Emmanuel Baptist Church, they're just brainwashed. Independent, they just brainwash you. You know why they think they can't understand it? Why would? Because 
you know, it's all about them. It's all about how they feel. It's all about their feelings got hurt. It's all about my mommy and daddy wouldn't let me do this on Friday night. It's all about all of those things. It's all about uh, the pastor hurt my feelings or this person didn't shake my hand. It's all about what I want to do in my life and, and how dare I give everything to God because it's all about that. They can't understand a group of people who lay down all their opinions, all, all, all of, the, all of their, their, their goals and their dreams for the gospel's sake so that the gospel can go forward. So the only explanation they have because they do not understand it, they have not experienced is they're brainwashed. Well, friend, if, 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 if giving everything to God so that we can win people to Christ is being brainwashed, I'll plead guilty. If giving your life and teaching our children that God gave you one life to live for Him, and God has put you in the home that He's put you in, He's put you in the church that He's put you in, He's given you the exact talents and the exact abilities that He wants you to have, and He's got tasks just for you. Give your life to God. Give your life to be used to keep people out of hell. If that's brainwashing, I'd rather have that brainwashing than what gender are you, or, or, or what really is marriage, or what really is a man and a woman. If, if, if this is brainwashing, we need to sign up for more of it they can't understand it because I take you back to what, he, what we said this morning what I said at the beginning man's opinion and what's going on in this world is not the standard it's a standard Paul set for himself that I should not bring any shame to Christ you know, that's a higher standard than a pastor can set for anybody. That's a higher standard than a mom and dad can set for any child. Is what? How does it reflect on Christ? Then we see, and I believe this point is going to be helpful to us. The church, number three, is to strive together. Notice this, I like this. With that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That word striving means to exerting the power of mind and body. There's more power together than with individuals. This is what some Christians see when it comes to the local church. It's, well, it doesn't matter. And, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll say this. Because we're to be of one mind and one spirit. Just because there's some that say, well, I think I, I fit better at this church over here, whatever. This is not what I'm looking for. I don't necessarily get offended by that. Because if they can go somewhere else, of course, I'm referencing Bible preaching churches. But if that's where God, I mean, I want us to be of one mind and one spirit. I can still be Nice. It's different with somebody trying to, to cause disunity than somebody who just says, hey, I feel like God wants me to be of one mind and one spirit over here. I don't have an issue with that. Because that brings us to this point. We're supposed to strive together. How do we do that? We lay aside all of our goals, our wants, our wishes for the gospel. It's harnessing the power of the group. I'll use an illustration. I don't want you to get bogged down on where I get it from, and then I'm going to illustrate with the men on the platform. The University of Georgia this past year, and again, don't get, bogged, don't get lost. If you hate them, that's fine. Um, 
but they are the two. T- anyway, <laughs> they had a had a had a saying. They had a slogan that they rallied behind, which isn't which isn't new. I mean, it's, teams do that. But a coach, when the group was together, when the team was together, he would say one plus one equals. No, that's not what they would say. They would say one plus one equals three. Because when you take the, the strength and the talent and the effort of one person and you put it together with another, it doesn't just equal those individual efforts and talents. Because when it's together, it's actually stronger. And when God's people, you mean if you'll all stand up for me and I'll let you represent the church. Each one of these men have talents and abilities, walk with the Lord, that God uses and can use. And aren't you thankful that Jesus is a personal Savior? And we can have a personal walk with God? Brother Mike has a personality and talents and a background that is different from these men and, and is used for the cause of Christ. Brother Roach, likewise. Brother French, likewise. Brother Montgomery, and all the way around. And God uses individuals. But when God's people come together and you put everybody in this room together. Well, it becomes something that can be really be used for the cause of Christ. Those of you that are familiar with football, you have that offensive line. The quarterback gets the big contracts. I'll get an amen from Billy down here. But if it wasn't for the offensive line, he'd spend his time on his back. And you can have good talented linemen, but what makes that great line is when they all work together. They all know that they're pulling this way. They all know that they're pulling this way. They know what this one is, is pulling around. They know everything that is done. And when God's people take their talents, their abilities, their background, and they put, put all, everything else aside, and they say, let's put it together, let's work together Man, amazing things get done. God can take one prayer life and shake a nation. God can take one person's prayers and turn a city upside down. But he can do more when the gospel is the standard. And we all say, for the sake of the gospel... We're going to put what we have together and work together to see the gospel advance. Thank you, man. You can be seated. It's harnessing the power of the group. See, something to help you, and some of you are new, and I'm proud of the new members and how they've just jumped in, and church members of how they've helped people get to know people. And, you know, when the biggest complaint by the visitors are is there's too many people talking to me, that's, that's, that's a good thing. I'd rather have that than nobody talks to me. 
the quickest way for you to feel like an outsider in your own church is when you stop striving. When you start striving together. I've often heard this in my ten and a half years of being the pastor. I heard it times before that as an assistant pastor. But I just don't feel like I belong anymore. And then I look at the service they used to do. I look at the soul wedding they used to be involved in. They're the last one in, first one out. They, they're not part of striving. They're not part of everything. The quickest thing, for you, the way for you to feel like an outsider is not to strive. Likewise, the quickest way for you to enjoy the fellowship is to strive, is to be involved. Then number four, look with me at verse number 28. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to them of your salvation and that of God. Number four, God will put a stamp of approval on a church in harmony for the gospel. What that verse is saying is don't be afraid of your adversaries. Don't be afraid of those who would oppose the church. The reason why they're opposing is because they know their own condition. And they know what God is blessing. You know, know, nobody, the devil doesn't attack churches God's not blessing. God doesn't try and affect the, the devil doesn't try and affect the harmony of a church that's in disharmony. And by the way, the devil doesn't, doesn't care if it's in harmony about some other issue, as long as it's not in harmony about the gospel. And God puts his stamp of approval, so do not fear adversaries. It says, and that if God. What Paul is reminding the church, and we need to take note of, is that if you make the gospel the standard, and we strive together, one mind, one spirit, when it comes to the gospel. You don't have to change your personality. It is what it is. Some are introverts. Some are out, introverts. Is that a... Anyway, extroverts. Some, some are quiet. Some are not so much. Some are confident. Some are not. God does not expect you to change your personality, who you are. Just make the gospel the standard. And be of one mind and one spirit when it comes to the gospel. And with that in mind, God will put his stamp of approval. Uh, I was thinking as I was putting the finishing touches on this message and I was thinking of our relocation and all those different things, and even pastor friends are like, Ugh. and I'm like, hey, I hear you, man. It's, it sounded crazier to me. But you know what helps your pastor? I, I, have, a, I have confidence in the Lord. I have confidence in the fact that God put me here. I have confidence in the fact that I'm doing the will of God. I have confidence in that. But the only way I get confidence is in moving forward as a church. Get confidence in my own life stepping out by faith. As I've already told you, when we set these goals to double our church attendance by, this, by the end of the year and to reach these things, 
I knew what that was going to require of me. I had to be willing to lay some things down. I had to be willing to step out by faith. But what gives us all confidence as we move forward is God always puts a stamp of approval. Well, aren't you thankful for souls saved? And we look for the, the wrong stamp of approval, don't we? Well, I want society to accept us as a church. It's never going to accept us if we're preaching the Bible. It's, it's never going to say, oh, let the Bible believers have a part. It's never going to happen. Society is not going to do that. So whose stamp of approval are we after? We're after God's. Many, and this is where you, you, you figure out where you need to guard yourself. I'm going to tell you where I have to guard myself. Because we all have insecurities, we all have shortcomings, and we all should have a desire. I just want to do the will of God. I want to fill the role that God has for me. And God saved me, and He gave me a role in His church. For me, it's the pastor of this church. For you, it's wherever He has you serving in this church. But no matter what role we serve, the responsibility is the same for us to be about the gospel. And the confirmation is when God puts a stamp of approval. Young people, you're not always going to see it at 16, 17, 18. Boy, if you go against God, there will be people waiting to... You turn your back on God and you leave the things of God and you get out of fellowship with the church, there'll be a whole host of people go, I told you it was a cult. Aren't you glad to not be brainwashed anymore? There'll be a whole host of people to applaud and cheer Don't live for that. Live for the God who loved you enough to send his son. Live for Christ who shed his blood on Calvary. Live for that moment as Paul did when Christ says, well done. Well done. My goal, back to where I tell you I have to guard myself. We all have a tendency to compare ourselves with other people, don't we? Three of you acknowledge that, the rest of you are in denial. We compare ourselves, we are in Christianity, and I'm thankful for patterns and examples, but Christ is our example. But when your preachers have a tendency to compare their success to other preachers, and what God is doing in different places, and this person makes this decision. Quite frankly, that's why there's been a lot of compromise because we try and shortcut the blessings of God to get approval. When I have to remind myself when the Spirit of God works in my heart through my prayer life and through my study to bring a message. Boy, I, I'm, I'm, and I, it's easy comparison. The Bible study last Wednesday night, so many of you have expressed to me how helpful that was. But there are times I preach messages and I'm like, well, that was horrible. 
That's my own pride. Because truth of the matter is, any preacher doesn't come to the pulpit, shouldn't come to the pulpit and preach a message for anybody but him. Now, there are times I get excited. I was excited Wednesday night because I knew that was going to be helpful. Because I knew God gave it for his people. You and I, from the pastor to the usher sitting against the back wall, we all should serve the what pleases him. When it comes to the context of our text tonight, if God has placed us and led us to the Emmanuel Baptist Church, it's to be in harmony for the gospel's sake. I believe we have harmony. I believe it's evident by the way God is blessing and working. Let's guard that. The devil is going to come after the pastor. Because if he can get the pastor out of the way or just distracted for the cause of Christ, it affects the church. Pray for your pastor. The devil comes after the pastor's family. Pray for the pastor's family. Let me tell you, the devil's looking for any weak link he can find. That's why for your own sake, for your family's sake, for the church's sake, the church is stronger with you than without you. Well, let's be mindful of what God has for us. The summertime's over. Most people are back from travel. The crowd this morning reflected what God is doing. Well, let's stay vigilant. Let's stay vigilant. Well, let's be mindful of these instructions of Paul. Christ is my standard. What can I do? He said, I want to go, but he's leaving me here for others. As we tie these two messages together this morning and tonight, may Christ be our standard. May we long to be with our Lord, but realize God has us here still for others. Then Paul takes that same thought and he wraps it around God's church and says, be of one spirit and one mind for the sake of the gospel, striving together, working together for the sake of the gospel. Boy, let's let the Lord speak to our hearts tonight. Father, we pray that